Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, would you, and open it to the book of Acts chapter 6. And we're going to look at a message called The Face of an Angel. Father, thank you so much for the beauty of who you are. Thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. Thank you that you show us your face in so many different ways. We get at least little revelations of it in the face of beauty of children, in the beauty of human beings that we sometimes take for granted, in the beauty of a moment of worship, the beauty of a sunset. The heavens declare the glory of God. Skies proclaim the work of your hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. The jewel of your creation is man. And as much as we could say that angels reflect the glory of God, at least the holy ones, we have been, in the new covenant, made those who get to house the glory It's a mysterious thing in many ways to know that you inhabit us as your temple. What would come down on the temple in the days of Moses and then later is what's called the Shekinah glory of God, the manifest presence of God. And that glory now resides in us. It resides in the church both individually and corporately to the effect that people and even angels would look at the church and see your redemption and your grace and truth on display. This is a great privilege and a great mystery which we possess in Jesus, but we see it. We see times when the glory of God just begins to radiate from the life, and it's such a beautiful thing, Lord. And that's what we will see in Stephen today, a man whose name means crown. A man who did not live a long life, but he lived a powerful life. And I pray that as we look at Stephen today, uh, you would change the countenance of our faces so that we might reflect the glory of God in our lives. We ask that you guide our message by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The face of an angel. So we are going to work back this morning by starting with the last verse of our text. It's the very last verse of Acts chapter 6, verse 15, reading from the ESV. It says, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council, that's the Sanhedrin, saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is one of the more intriguing verses in the Bible. Uh, How can someone be described as having the face of, of an angel, what would that look like? Acts chapter 6, verse 15, the face of an angel. You know, your face says a lot about you. You know, we know people by their faces. If someone's going to, for example, try to cover up themselves in a heist, uh, their clothing is kind of just incidental, but they, what they do is they cover their face because their face is their identity. Uh, We can tell a lot about a person by their face. People that we get to know really well, we know the curves and lines of their face. And that's because 
we spend a lot of time in face-to-face communication. We live now in a time where we don't always face people because we text. So you don't have to face your boss. You just say, I'm sick today. I don't, I don't think I can come to work. And that's, we don't want to face it, right? Uh, your face says a lot about you. It really says everything about you. I was in the courtyard afterwards and uh, after first service, and I was talking to some people, and they said they've kind of adopted a, a little slogan in their house, and it's called, Change Your Face. And it kind of goes like this. They heard a story about a little kid. He's in a restaurant. And you know how you, you, you that have younger kids know how this works. Right? You put your kid in the high chair and you want him to behave at the restaurant. So you, quiet, don't throw your fork, you know, that kind of thing. Right? And, and when you're trying to correct him, all of a sudden you'll see this. Don't do that anymore. No. You know, that face will just kind of droop. And the dad used to say to this little kid, change your face. <laughs> Right? Little kids are famous for this. You know, is a birdie going to come by and uh, do something on your lip? Uh, some of you used to say, right? Your lip is so far out. <laughs> Sorry, can you say that in church? I just did. Anyway. And so, we know that a face says everything about a person. Facial expressions. You know, you can live with somebody long enough where you know right where their temperament lies just by their face. And you know whether it's going to be a good day or a not so good day. Sometimes you see somebody's face and you go, uh-oh. Right? This used to be true of my mother when we were growing up. All you had to do is see a look. Some of you could say it was my dad, right? He just had to look at you and you knew. Now there was one extra thing. It would be the look. And in my household, in an Italian household, um, they would use the wooden spoon. Anybody relate to this? And it was usually like this. It was usually they would, my mom would just shake the drawer where the wooden spoon was and we'd just go running. <laughs> Lock the bathroom door. <laughs> your face says a lot. Change your face if you need to. And so here is a man that is described as a man with a face like an angel. Wow. So with that thought in mind, I want to take you to uh, several scriptures so we can dig this out. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Jesus is winding down his earthly ministry and he takes up Peter, James, and John to a high mountain and there he is transfigured. This is Matthew 17 verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, Matthew 17, 1, his brother, And he brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face, Matthew 17, verse 2, shone like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses, who knew something about your face shining, which we'll talk about in a second, and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Now, when Jesus was transfigured, something amazing happened to his face. And a lot of commentators who look at Matthew 17 say that this transfiguration that happened on this mountain was kind of a foretaste of what glory will be like. And and Jesus, he was God in human flesh, so he kind of veiled his glory in humanity. He didn't show the fullness of his glory, but he would return to that glory. And he kind of gave them a preview of coming attractions, if you know what I'm saying. And he showed them a little bit of the glory. Peter, James, and John got to see it. And his face shone 
like the sun. That's amazing. Now, go to Matthew 18, just the very next chapter, and look at verse 10. Jesus has been talking about not stumbling little ones who believe in him and being careful about your own walk in life. And then he says these words, Matthew 18, 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually behold the face of my Father who's in heaven. Now this has given some scholars reason to say that maybe this indication of their angels says that maybe all of us have a guardian angel. After all, it does say their angels are continually beholding my face the face of my Father who's in heaven, but it gives us an indication of what angels are up to maybe when they're not on assignment. They look at the face of God. And one day the Bible says, even though we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see face to face. And we, Revelation 21, will see God's face. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. Right now in our current condition, we have not seen the fullness of that glory, but one, way, one day we will. And angels behold the face of God. Now what does an angel look like? Well, if you go to Matthew 28, we see a little insight about the radiating nature of angels. Matthew 28, look at verse 1 with me. This is the resurrection account from Matthew. Now after the Sabbath, Matthew 28, verse 1, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, Matthew 28, 1, and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. I love that. That's a cool angel. And his appearance was like what? Lightning and his garments as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now, if you've ever seen a picture of a lightning strike in a darkened sky, you're kind of getting the idea. I mean, lightning, really? Yeah, lightning. Powerful. So much power on display that the guards, trained guards, probably hardened guards, shook for fear like dead men. And this is an angel coming down from heaven. Keep going to Luke chapter 2 when Jesus was born in the birth narrative of Luke chapter 2. Luke gives us this insight. This is verse 8, Luke 2. It says, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Luke 2, verse 9. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. When the angels appeared on the night that Jesus was born, Glory from heaven emanated, radiated from these angels. And again, we have a fearful response from those who experience it. Acts chapter 10, look at verse 30 with me. Cornelius, the first Gentile convert, one to Christ by Peter, has a vision of angels. That's made clear 
of an angel in Acts 10 verse 3. It says about the ninth hour of the day he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius! And fixing his gaze, Acts 10 verse 4, upon him and being much alarmed. Could you imagine if you were Cornelius, you were praying one day and all of a sudden an angel said, Hey! He's like, Whoa! Cornelius! And fixing his gaze upon him, and that's reminiscent to what the council was doing. They fixed their gaze upon Stephen and saw his face like the face of an angel. And being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now he describes the angel in Acts 10, verse 30. And Cornelius said, Four days ago to this hour, Acts 10, verse 30, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man, which we know from verse 3 is an angel, stood before me in shining garments. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 10, the last book of your Bible, and let me mention to you as we will look at this final description of angels, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, where Paul is talking about uh, false apostles and false workers, he says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself, remember, as an angel of light. No wonder that his servants do the same. It tells us something about the nature of deception. Things can look good, but can be false. Revelation 10, verse 1, the Apostle John writes, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, Revelation 10, verse 1, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. Please go back to the book of Acts. And so these descriptions show us a consistent testimony that angels often appear radiating the light of God. And something akin, something similar is happening in Stephen's life. Stephen has the face of an angel. And to me, the simple uh, conclusion is he is radiating the glory of God much like angels do. And in a special moment, God decided to do this to put his glory on display before this rebellious council. The question is why. The question is why it happened to Stephen. Let's look at some facts about Stephen. First of all, we know that there was a major problem in the early church, and I think it was a subtle attack from the enemy. There was a complaint that arose between two groups of Jewish believers, Grecian Jews with Greek background and native Hebrews. The complaint was, our people are being overlooked in the serving of food, our widows specifically. So they decided, hey, we'll call a congregational meeting. The apostles did this. And they said, you guys select seven men among you who are of good reputation, etc. And so the first in that list to solve the dilemma among the early church is a man named Stephen. Notice the selection process. This is Acts 6, verse 3. Select from among you, and these are attributes that belong to Stephen. Seven men who are of good reputation, notice, full of the Holy Spirit, Acts 6.3, and of wisdom, who we may put in charge of this task. Now, skip down to verse 5. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Then you'll notice Philip's listed and then the rest. The only one in the list of seven that has descriptors around 
His character is Stephen. Now, Philip will be talked about later. The rest are not talked about, but Stephen is the first on the list. And among thousands of people, remember I told you the church is probably at 20,000 at this point. Among that group of people, Stephen was a man who stood out. And when the question was asked among the early church, who can we get? What kind of man of good reputation, full of wisdom, full of the Spirit, can we put in charge of this widow-feeding program? I think from the lips of many in the early church, they said, I know just a guy. His name is Stephen. His name means garland or crown. And Stephen wore, I would say to you, a crown of service to the Lord. I believe he got a crown and he ran a short race. The word crown speaks of a victor's crown, like you would get if you won an award. And he lived a short life, but he lived powerfully. He's on par with people like Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist. A short life, but a powerful life. And it tells me something about Christianity and our lives. It doesn't matter how long you live necessarily. You guys know that famous missionaries have made an impact who died in their 20s. What matters is what you do with the time you've been given. You can live a short life and glorify God, and you can live a long life and live all your years in rebellion to God. What you do with the time you've been given is what really matters. Now Stephen was obviously an outstanding individual. He was full of faith, verse 5, and of the Holy Spirit. And notice as we move down in the description of Stephen to verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great signs or great wonders and signs among the people. Now Stephen will become a bridge in the account of Acts. Peter has been the focal point for much of the uh, early sermons in Acts, and he will appear again in Acts 10, 11, and 15. But the shift in the book of Acts is going to move from dominance of Peter as a preacher to a man named Saul. Saul is going to become Paul, and Saul is heavily involved in this particular account. If you skip ahead for a second and look at um, verse 58 of Acts 7, and we'll we'll be looking at this in some detail uh, in, in weeks ahead, but for the moment, Acts 7.58, when they had driven him out of the city, and that is Stephen, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen, and as he called upon the Lord, Acts 7.59, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. By the way, that's good evidence that there is no soul sleep. Jesus, received my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep or he died. Keep reading. And Saul was in a hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now in Acts 1.8, Jesus has said, Jesus said, I will wait and I will give you power and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what's interesting is that the way that the church went out to fulfill its mission is by persecution. 
One man was killed and a great persecution arose and a man heavily involved with probably the Sanhedrin, the the ruling council, he was obviously a very zealous young man for the tradition of the Jews, was a man named Saul. Saul may have been a member of the Sanhedrin. He may have also debated with Stephen in this particular exchange and he encountered a man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8, Acts 6. Full of grace and power. These were all the things that belonged to Stephen. And I'll say this to you. If you want to be a man or you want to be a woman who shines for God, this is the key. You must spend time in the presence of God. And these virtues will come out in your life. A man of faith, a woman of faith, is a man or a woman who trusts God. A man or a woman full of grace, think of what the gospel is. It's the gospel of grace. This is a beautiful word, charis, and it speaks of unmerited favor. He had grace and power. What a combination. Would would to God that that would be said of us, that that man is a man of grace and a man of power. And I'll say this to you, that in the coming verses we're going to see that although this great word grace was evident in Stephen, he couldn't please everybody. He was a man of grace and power, but he's going to get into this major debate and it's going to cause people to kill him. You may be trying to be a person of grace, but let me say this to you. You will not please everyone. Even if you're a person of grace, you can't please everyone. So stop trying. Now, I can hear some people saying, oh, that means I don't even have to try. No, change your face. But what I'm talking about is, look, John the Baptist couldn't please people by uh, abstinence. Jesus couldn't please them by participation. What makes you think that you're going to? There's going to be certain people that don't want to hear, get this, about grace. They don't want to hear about grace. You talk about the gospel, that's the gospel of grace. Yes, there's bad news, but there's great news. And some people will be turned off if you try to tell them about grace. Don't be shocked. But your job, my job, is to shine for the Lord. Now in 2 Corinthians, we have an interesting uh, description of this kind of thing. 2 Corinthians 3. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, first and se- Acts Romans, 1st and 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians 3 and look at verse 7 with me. The Apostle Paul is describing the New Covenant gospel ministry. Describes himself and his comrades as servants of a New Covenant. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. And he says, But if the ministry of death, he's talking about the law, in letters engraved on stones, 2 Corinthians 3, 7, came with glory, or was glorious, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. Another uh, rendering says, which glory was passing away or which was being brought to an end. There's not good evidence from the Exodus account, by the way, that Moses covered his face because the glory began to fade from his face. We don't know that for sure. The, glo- the fading glory may be a reference to the law, the law being superseded by the new covenant. I'm not sure we have good evidence to say Moses covered his face out of embarrassment that the light was diminishing from his face. 
I think that there's good evidence, and I'm not going to be dogmatic on this, that the reason that Moses covered his face was an act of mercy. Because the children of Israel in this context were rebelling against God, against the law of God. And when Moses came down from the mountain, he didn't even know his own face was shining. And he had to put a veil over his face. But when he went back to talk with God, he took the veil off. And it may be an act of mercy because the glory of God fully revealed among sinful people will do what? Kill them. If you would like to listen to this message again, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. If you've been blessed by this ministry or if we can pray for you, let us know. You can get to know us better, find helpful resources, and give to this growing radio ministry at livingtruthcorona.org. Acts chapter 6, we have a character, his name is Stephen, it says that he's a man full of God's grace and power, and he performed great wonders and signs among the people. But before there, in verse 5, it mentions that he is going to be one of the overseers for the fellowship there in Jerusalem. And so, here, Pastor Michael, what can you tell us about Stephen? He was a man of great faith. He performed great signs and wonders. What was the purpose, first off, of him performing these signs and wonders? Well, Oscar, when we dealt with the uh, the choosing of the seven and the whole issue with the widows and, and that kind of thing, you know, the church numbers that I've written in my Bible, the estimated size of the early church here is 20,000 people. Amazing. And so, you know, they had this issue with the food distribution and some people were feeling overlooked. So they chose seven men. And the most prominent of the seven is Stephen. And so one of the things that I think about is what does it mean to be a man like Stephen? Since he becomes, you know, he, he takes on this prominence before the council. He's a prominent man you know, chosen among the seven. And then, of course, he, te- he preaches this radical message in Acts 7 and becomes, you know, the, the first martyr of the church. What was it about Stephen? Well, first of all, Stephen stood out. I think that's one thing that we can say for sure, because among 20,000 people, you'd have to be a standout to be chosen to be one of these seven. Absolutely. And why did he stand out? Because he was full, full of what? Full of faith, verse 5, full of the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, he was full of grace. New King James has it as faith and power. That's dunamis. And he was doing great signs and wonders. So here's a man He's got a great reputation. I've got a list here of things just about Stephen that I think we want to mimic in our own lives. He was, had a great reputation. That's why he was chosen. The congregation agreed. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of power. Here's a man that is full of the things of God. So it wasn't hard to figure out, hey, if we need someone to help, let's choose Stephen. But the cool thing about this, Oscar, is that he's not chosen to be preaching from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. He's not chosen here to lead a Bible study. He's chosen for a widow feeding program, basically. He's chosen, you know, some people, this is a bit debated, but some people say these are the first deacons of the church. Mm -hmm. And perhaps, you know, in some way that that's the case. But these guys were in a servant ministry. And here's one of the, the lessons, Oscar. We've talked about this a lot in the past. If you're faithful in small things, God will what? He'll multiply greatly. Yeah, he'll give you bigger things, right? It's required of a steward that he or she be found faithful. And Stephen was a faithful man. And so God used him for greater purposes, but everybody starts in ministry somewhere. 